Doubling up your big fat juices here on the JSB. And it's always good to hear your big fat juices because uh, people love them as well. In fact, T and Durban said, good morning, Mitchell and the JSB team. This morning, I didn't send in any requests, but I'm grateful to the listener who requested Gregory Isaacs. I enjoyed. T, we enjoyed as well. So that's a good one. We also enjoyed the choice from... Uh, Rhodes in Wolsey, who said, please play me. Whoa, classic track, Toots and the Maytals. And then we went to Siwa in Krugersdorp asking for TLC. So playing you the songs that are going to make your day. And you are welcome to continue sending in your choices and your thoughts as well, either via SMS, WhatsApp, or indeed on Twitter as well. It's time for word domination and this is where we like to look at books, words, images that are taking place in the literary space. And this is a book that uh, I read uh, in the last week and I thought it is a tough book but also a book that talks to a conversation that South Africa is really engaging in. As we know, South Africa is facing a massive suicide crisis. The numbers are rising dramatically. Apparently, SADAG, the South African Depression and Anxiety Group, reported that um, before COVID-19, the organization was fielding 600 calls a day, and now that has risen by nearly 40% to 2,200 calls a day. And people are feeling stressed, they're feeling anxious, and there are many, many reasons why people may say, this is not a world I want to be in any longer, and I am able to make my choices. Glynis Horning is is an award-winning freelance writer. She is um, the recipient of diverse uh, prizes. She's won the Discovery Health Journalism Award for Best Health Consumer Reporting, the Pfizer Mental Health Journalism Award, the Rosalind Carter Fellowship for Mental Health Journalism, and much, much more. She lives in Etiquini, Durban, with her husband, Chris, and their son, Ewan. And she wrote a book um, which was released um, last year titled Water Boy, Making Sense of My Son's Suicide. And on the line, we have Glynis. Glynis, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an important topic. Thanks, Michelle. Whew, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important topic and it's an important topic even more so forgiven the stats and the numbers that we're hearing. But stats and numbers are nothing until it uh, requires you to make sense of someone very close to you, indeed your own son's suicide. Talk to us about, um, very briefly, if you don't mind, the, the incident, the situation that took you into writing this beautiful book, Waterboy. Oh, it was a very ordinary Sunday morning, In fact, better than normal because our son, who'd been suffering from major depression and generalized anxiety, and he had a blood condition, thalassemia minor, which added to his fatigue and lack of concentration, he'd finally gone back to varsity, finished his degree in mechanical engineering, and on the Monday, he was going to start out in his first full-time job. Um, We were feeling really positive. We thought he was in a good space. And that Sunday morning, my husband went down to sort out some breakfast things for him because he lived in a flat in the downstairs part of our old house. The next thing, he was, my husband was standing in the doorway saying, Spencer is dead. It's, it's inconceivable, you know. Mm. Um, I rushed downstairs and, you know, the, the book tells 
what unfolded from there, but within a few minutes, it feels like it's probably an hour or two, he was standing at your gate as a mortuary van drives out with your child. I mean, he was 25, but he was my child on the mm. verge of stepping out and into life, was stepped, had stepped out of life. And that's when the, the turmoil and the questioning uh, begins. It's very difficult. Yeah. Glynis, you talk about the turmoil and the questioning, and in fact, in the um, on the dust jacket, um, uh, it, it describes it as piecing together the puzzle. And in fact, in many ways, that does feel so much what the book is about, that there are incredibly diverse pieces to the puzzle, um, some very closely tied to your, to your son, some perhaps taking a few steps backward, Talk to us about that um, that desire, well, not desire, but that need to put the puzzle together and the time that that takes to do. I mean, we talk about puzzles, those large, large puzzles on a table and how much time we spend with them. Talk to us about that. Well, the book was written in the space of a year. And by the end of the book, um, I was still piecing the pieces together, mm. trying to, and I'm still doing it now, which is over two years later, because I don't think you ever feel you've wrestled it into a neat little box and can put a label on. I don't think it's possible, but you can't stop trying. And maybe it's particularly, for, I know any loss does this sort of thing, but when it's a mother losing a child, you know, you kind of, you're one job in this world seems to be to give life to the next generation and see it on its way. Then you can bow out and relax. And mm. to not manage to do that, it feels like such a failure. And what did you miss? And the fact that I worked in writing on mental health, I think, made that feeling even stronger. And I couldn't understand. I and mean, I knew Obviously, all the clear warning signs one should watch for, you know, hopelessness, quietness, withdrawal, irritability, blah, blah, blah. But my son was one of, and I gathered there quite a lot of them, high-functioning depressive who concealed that. He was not, he, he didn't show all those sort of things, the hopelessness, helplessness. He seemed an ordinary well, not ordinary, a special. He was, he was beautiful and he was very bright and he was very funny. Upbeat boy and with his friends, he was relaxed and outgoing. He would go hiking, but he had those, that darker side to him, which he managed to conceal. Certainly from, from his seat. I mean, his friends were as shaken as we were as parents. It's not as if it was a generational thing and he just mm. kept it from us. So it was, it took a year of talking, obviously, to all his friends, to our friends. Did anybody, what did they know? I mean, I went to speak to his psychiatrist, to his psychologist, and, you know, I know there's this thing that they've got confidentiality clauses, um, and I didn't expect them at any stage of his treatment with them, and he was under them for a couple of years, to divulge personal stuff that he taught them. I understand the need for that confidentiality, or no patient would ever open up, but I just kind of got the feeling that there were things that maybe we could have been pointed to to understand. Mm -hmm. For example, he he had stopped, he weaned himself off his um, antidepression meds in that last year, but he'd done it under psychiatrist supervision and 
you know, he'd seen well enough for her to agree to that. And we didn't pick up there was an underlying problem, so why should she? But subsequently reading um, and researching, I discovered people like the neurologist Robert Sapolsky in the U.S. saying that for all the fact that antidepressants, um, you know, are the, 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 they don't work in many ways in terms of they can't be accurately um, prescribed to treat a specific problem. And, and he described it as being a crap game. <laughs> but they, yeah, they, they, do, that, yeah. they do offer, yeah, they do offer the best solution. Um, and without them, when you're off antidepressants, that's one of the most dangerous periods. And I just wish we'd be more alert to that, yeah. Certainly the book, I mean, Glynis, I mean, one of the, 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 it's an incredibly helpful book in, in, I mean, helpful sounds like the wrong word, but it does bring understanding um, for, for many people who may not really be able to recognize or, or know what is going on. What struck me, um, well, there were a couple of things that struck me in the book. The one was um, this, how, we are able to, it, it becomes like detective work when you talk about that puzzle because we are able to look at technology, we are able to go online and start to see what this person that we loved, in your case your son, was doing online or checking online in order to even get a sense of that timeline of his, his, his deep, deep, deep trauma. Yes. Well, this was one of the things my younger son, my wonderful Ewan, managed to get into the history of his computer. We were unable to for a while. There were problems with the computer. And we were then able to go in there and follow what his searches were over the months. And, you know, there were hundreds of searches each day. But Mm. from that, one could pull out enough to get a general pattern. And I've used those in the epilogue. And one can actually follow where his thoughts were going and understand to a degree what would he would have found so incredibly depressing and the lack of hope out there. Um, and obviously when you're in that frame of mind, you focus more on that side of things and you, you, know, you cherry pick the things which feed into that and it becomes a self-fulfilling thing in a way. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, but I, I, uh, and I actually thought twice about whether we should include that epilogue, and, but I actually think it was very important. It just gives you that kind of personal insight into where one's thoughts go and how one desperately needs to reach out and get more help, yeah. I mean, certainly, I mean, you, I mean the, you, the, at one point in the epilogue, you talk about how he was Googling Durban Trade School and how to join the South African National Defense Force. And then he has eight reasons why I'm going to kill myself. I mean, all different searches on Google. And I think um, it might bring great, um, well, I can't say it could bring release, but certainly maybe it gives one a deeper understanding. Glynis, one of the things that really struck me about this book was how important your very dear friends are, family, yes, yes, but also to have those close friends that you had in your case, they were you called them uh, the I wanted to say the triumvirate, but the, the three <laughs> the trinity, <laughs> the trinity, yeah, the three, the th- yeah. your three close friends, the importance of that in the process yeah. of grieving. 
was absolutely essential. It's so important to feel that you are heard and to have people who are willing to be a sounding board and to let you hammer on again and again and pour out all your angst. And, you know, I'm sure mm. after a year you think they would get sick of it, but they were always there. At, at any hour of the day or night, I could drop an email. I just thought of it. Could that have been a, you know, flagellating yourself? And one just can't help it. And they mm. were always there. These three were amazing because they're very different. I've known them all, all my life, actually, from, from one from kindergarten, the other two from, from high school. And, you know, they have very different perspectives. And the, the one is quite sharp and acerbic. And she was an, an, an English lecturer at varsity. And, and then the one is very gentle, the, the work from UNICEF, and my wonderful friend in the Cape who has done counselling. And she had lost a first husband to suicide. Mm. So they can give me feedback from different perspectives. And I just, I think it's so important to be able to open up to others and work through this process again and again. And for people who don't have that, I think it's imperative that they turn to places like SADAG, who've got wonderful support groups, including solos, um, survivors of, you know, who have lost loved ones to suicide, and mm. find a group of people who understand where you're coming from. I went for some grief counselling with our boy psychologist um, afterwards, and you know, it's a wonderful psychologist and she was helpful but she has not experienced this herself and I think this is the thing this is why support groups are important these are other people who've actually been through your loss and you can see what they've tried and what might have worked for them yeah yeah Glynis, we have to leave it there, I'm afraid, but I want to say thank you so much for this read. Um, as hard as it was, it, it is a, a, a deeply profound book and has moments of joy as well. So I hope that as you weave your way through life, you are able to start to find what some of the answers are for you. That's Glynis Horning. She is the uh, author of a book called Waterboy, Making Sense of My Son's Suicide. It's published by... Let me just put that through for you. It's published by Bookstorm. And as I say, it's not an easy book to read, but certainly if it's a topic that you're interested in or that you want to find out for, maybe you want to uh, get some kind of sense of something that's going on in your own life, then it will certainly be a valuable one for you to read. Once again, the title, Waterboy Making Sense of My Son's Suicide.